Hello everyone and welcome to the Manacast, conversations about a vision of life that is truly good news for us, for our neighbours and for the world. My name is Jacob Garrett and with me as always is Jonathan Cornford. Hi folks. The Manacast is recorded on the lands of First Nations peoples. I'm talking to you today from Nam or Melbourne on Wurundjeri land in Victoria. And I'm speaking to you, as always, from uh, Jajaran country in central Victoria in Bendigo, where it is a beautiful autumn day and the spreading wattle is just starting to bloom. Yeah, I'm getting some of that sun as well. It's blue skies out my window. Uh, we'd like to acknowledge these peoples as the traditional custodians of these lands and we pay our respects to their elders, past and present. Today's episode of the Manicast is all about technology something I've been thinking about a lot lately, and I know John has some thoughts on as well. So much so that I've been reading a book recently about a guy who's living without technology, at least according to the title. And the author, of course, Mark Boyle, he's the first one to say that it's pretty hard for anyone, if not impossible, to live without technology, depending on our definition. But he did write the book with pencil and paper, so at least I think he means business with what he's on about. He's living in rural Ireland, and early on in the book, he describes an update to the Oxford Junior Dictionary. He says that among the words deleted from the dictionary in 2007 were these. Acorn, alder, ash, beech, bluebell, buttercup, catkin, conker, cowslip, signet, Dandelion, fern, hazel, heather, heron, ivy, kingfisher, lark, mistletoe, nectar, newt, otter, pasture, and willow. In their place, Oxford University Press had added attachment, block graph, blog, broadband, bullet point, celebrity, chat room committee, cut-and-paste, mp3 player, and voicemail. And he says the publishing company's explanation that these things are now those things that comprise a child's life was pragmatic, understandable, honest, and deeply worrying. Perhaps it says a lot that many of the words in that second section, the updated section, are already feeling a bit a bit tired. I'm not sure who's listened to their MP3 player recently. Hey, I do. I still listen to their MP3 player. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's been a while for me, although I am trying to get a new battery for a classic iPod I got given by a friend that no longer works. But, I mean, there's an argument, isn't there, John, that technology is always changing. There's always going to be new things, changes to things, updates, if you like, and that there's nothing new here. We used to use pencil and paper or even before that clay tablets to write and now we use a computer tablet like an iPad. We've always had technology. What is there to be deeply worried about in Mark Boyle's words? Right, yes, well that's a big question isn't it? Um, well, yes we, we have always had technology and um, and I think perhaps we could, we could say there's, we've always had something to worry about in having technology. Um, and I guess that's what we want to explore. But um, perhaps we can say that the more technology we get, the more there is to worry about. Um, but I think we need to unpack that. Uh, and pro probably the way we need to start is by start 
is by asking actually what we mean by technology in the first place. Because I think most people these days when we talk about technology uh, immediately think about digital technology or things like that, AI and that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, but I think we need to go strip that uh, that definition way back. So is it possible to live, as the title of the book suggests, without technology? What definition do you prefer? Um, well, uh, so I would say, well, I mean, it's a bit of a moot question. If it's possible, of course, it's possible. But actually, there's virtually no... One of the fundamental things of being human is that uh, that defines us is that we're people who live with technology. Um, so, and I think if we're going to answer that question, we need to be clear that actually what technology is, um, to have a fuller, proper definition of it, we're not just talking about electronic stuff or even industrial stuff, but actually technology refers to any means by which humans manipulate the world around them. Um, so at, at a core level, we're talking about tools. Um, so we think about the hammer is a tool um, or fire lighting, the ability, uh, technique is a tool. Uh, these are things that we uh, use to manipulate the, the world around us. And the, what a tool does for us is it extends our power. So any tool, humans can do so much just with our four limbs and our, our digits, our fingers and hands and feet. But when we get a tool, then we extend our power. So, um, you know, with a with just our hands, we can we can maybe stack some sticks together and balance them and weave them and stuff like that. But once we get a hammer, then we can start to bang things and do a do a whole <laughs> lot more. Uh, and you know, once we can light fire, then my goodness, does our power um, extend? We can start to manipulate the world around us in all sorts of ways. That's right. The big Promethean shift. Yes. Enshrined in mythology, fire is the big one. But I mean, certainly, yeah, we often think of physical technologies, maybe like hammers, nails, but there's also non-physical technologies like, I mean, writing. We didn't always have the ability to write. And so inventing a script, a script is a kind of technology to get meaning down in a semi-permanent way, not just verbal communication. Absolutely. And uh, we, you can just keep going out. Any techniques that we use, money is a technology. It's a technique that we use to uh, interact with each other, to shape the human world and, and then to even shape the, the world around us. Um, the corporation is a technology. It's a means by which, uh, uh, which humans uh, get together and associate to do stuff. Um, the great um, Jacques Ellul, who is a, a great French theologian, sociologist, wrote a famous book called The Technological Society. And he often talked about not so much technology as he called it, he was writing in French, but it's usually translated as technique. Uh, and that is the, the means. Uh, so it's not just hard things, but actually the, the idea that, that we use different means and processes to shape each other in the world, world around us. Um, so that, that casts the net very broadly once we start to talk about technology once you, you think as, as widely as that. Mm, but it also means it's so broad that potentially, like you said, technology is somewhat, somewhat innate to being human, but we also know that animals use sticks to get termites out, like primates use sticks to get termites out of mounds or 
birds used sticks to make nests or termites use earth to make houses, big, big, massive, intricate structures that they live in. What is it that is specific to humans about technology? Mm. Well, I'm no, no zoologist, but I, yeah, I think you're right. So it is, it's not there. We do know of some other species that use um, tools, quote unquote, in a very limited sense. So there, there are some uh, spot primates uh, that use sticks either to extract ants from a nest uh, and maybe sometimes to beat each other with, I don't know. Um, and things like that, but it's usually one or two things and used only in one or two ways. Uh, what defines humans uh, or, or sets them apart is our the almost infinite capacity to make and reapply tools and to use them for one thing, then another thing, uh, and then that to lead to another tool. Um, mm. So we we are fundamentally a tool making species that's that's one thing that defines us and um and it's interesting to think about if you go uh to think theologically about that um when we go to genesis chapter one we read we read of humans being set apart from other species uh and the the language that's used in genesis one is that humans have dominion uh and we could talk a lot about what that means. Another way of translating <laughs> that is that humans have mastery among uh, the other species, um, uh, uh, the other creatures of creation. Uh, but what, what that names in essence is that humans of all species have a special power. And what Genesis 1 and then particularly Genesis 2 is trying to name uh, through that is that because humans have a special power, they have a special responsibility. Um, we're not going to pursue that side of things. We, we've talked about that a fair bit, I think, over various episodes. But for, for this episode, it's, uh, I think, important to note that that's, that special power that humans have, the, the thing we do is we make tools. Uh, the thing that makes us different from, uh, and that allows us to shape the world around us in incredible ways and then what what we learn from chapter three of genesis uh which gives us the story of of humanity's fall the beginning of that story is that we haven't learned to use our power responsibly uh, and so we we extend our power but we destroy things and each other um again and again and so the the, the story of human history is that that story, uh, the destruct, the scope of our destruction has grown with the scope of our power. Um, and that, in short, is a story of technology. And is that something, that power, is that something we have control over? Like when we use it destructively, is that our intentional choice or does our power extend beyond our control almost with tools sometimes? Well, therein lies the question, isn't it? I guess that's the sort of the the ground we want to explore because um you know uh, so the the call through the bible is uh for humans to to uh control uh to their power and therefore to um there to therefore to express the dominion that has been given them rather than uh, to use our power in unlimited and uncontrolled ways and which then transforms dominion into domination which mm. is uh which is destructive 
So that 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 is the continual call, and so if we're called to it, then that implies that uh, this is possible for us somehow. Uh, that, you know, the question is how do humans, um, how do we get control of ourselves? And you know, the ultimate answer of the the Bible is that we only do it by submitting to another who is God uh, and God known in in Christ. Um, but that's we're not going to go down that uh, explore that <laughs> theology, but. Um, so, you know, that it, the question for us, uh, the very real question is, are we able to control our own use of technology? And that's our, you know, at a big social and political level, that's a question. But I think it's even at, at a very practical, personal, family, household level, there are questions uh, which we can and should be asking about, are we able to control and delimit our use of technology uh, to make it uh, for better uses and uh, to limit uh, or limit its its destructive power. Hmm. Hmm. Seems like um, that quote we began with from Mark Boyle's book that uh, these these words that have changed in the dictionary they they're what now come to characterise a child's life or a human's life in I guess uh, Britain. Is there something to the idea that technology? is not just our tool, but sort of shapes us reciprocally into this kind of, well, this is now our world. We've made it, but now our world begins to make us. Yeah, yeah. And of course, there's, um, there is that uh, the quote from John Culkin, who was a Catholic priest and a professor of media studies and uh, associate of Marshall McLuhan, the ph philosopher. Uh, and his quote was, exactly what you said we shape our tools and thereafter our tools shape us um, which is a pro profound statement um, and of you know once we have tools we begin to use them in certain ways and then we get shaped by the very things we end up doing with our tools um, and is that process in our control well i mean this is the great question isn't it <laughs> to, 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 to some extent it's inevitable in that we have tools um, but perhaps we can say we have we can make better and worse choices. Uh, I mean, let's 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 hold that question open because that's that's what we want to explore. Yeah. Um, I, I mentioned Jacques Ellul before. Uh, he is in his characteristic French um, way. He is very down <laughs> yeah. on on the extent to which uh, he, he's almost he sees a sort of determinism by the the extent to which technology enslaves us. Um, now he does ultimately have hopeful words to say, but he actually uh, sees that the, in quite a dark way, the, um, uh, the 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 trend of all technology and especially modern industrial, and he just he's just on the cusp of the digital age when he's writing this, uh, especially the new technologies to to enslave us. Um, I find him a, a, sometimes a bit too much, but uh, you know I think that we need to. They're, they're actually, he has a lot of insight and a lot of things we need to heed. Hmm. Hmm. And he, he is one of those proponents, right, of the idea that if something is available to be done, like, you know, you could think once you have made the hammer, you can hit in a nail, but you can also hit in someone's skull with that. Once something is available, he's pretty down on the possibility that it won't be done in some place, in some way by someone. Is that right? Uh, yeah, look, I, I, um, I, I generally, yes. So, I mean, look, we don't have to, to go along with everything 
with with Jacques Lou says, but um, I think that is the question for us. Uh, we need to be continually asking ourselves, and, and these days we're having to ask ourselves it. I think much more rapidly and pointedly it is that the question: If we can do something, are we able to refrain from doing that thing? So you know that that's be become a question for say with cloning. Uh, you know, here's a technology that we can now um, clone things, and we have cloned animals. Are we able to refrain from cloning human beings, or is that now be? You know, is someone basically going to do it now that we? Is that inevitable? Is that you know, or you know, AI that all the conversations around AI and what could be done with that? Are we able to refrain from limiting how we use such a thing as as AI, or once we've got it, do we just really keep wanting to use it and use it more and use it again? And there's there's a sense I often find this with technology that like, if you choose to engage with it you gain something, but you also lose something mm. like, uh, yeah. I mean, might, this is maybe unpalatable to some people, but, uh, I, ever since I was a kid and now still as an adult, I prefer not wearing shoes if I can get away <laughs> with it socially, but also, I mean, there's some environments where shoes are particularly helpful, but I mean, even hiking and stuff, sometimes I do barefoot. And I find if I do that, my feet get tougher. And the things people worry about, like sharp stones or glass or whatever, or sticks in the, if you're hiking, those actually present less of a problem because your feet are tougher and your, your mind is even able to dodge them a bit more because you're practiced. But if you wear shoes, you kind of just stomp around and you lose that ability both to have the, the tough foot if you're ever walking bare feet, but also that sort of awareness of the world that barefoot gives you. Like, it seems like in almost every instance, technology or a technology gives you a power, but it also potentially because it makes something easier or more effective, it sort of atrophies some other capacity of you. Yeah. You're just a big old hippie, aren't you, Jacob? Well, Walk, yeah, I have been around, accused of <laughs> Walking around barefoot. Um, yeah. But you're right. Um, you're right. When I think that is the, the pattern. When With every technology, we gain something, but we lose something. And we're not... Um, I don't, we're just not very, and that's sometimes, you know, that, look, that might be okay. That might be a trade-off we want to make. But what we're not good at doing is actually realizing that or actually counting that cost. Mm. I, I don't think we're very good at being conscious uh, around those choices. Um, yeah, but we definitely uh, lose, uh, you know, so for example, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I write that I'm largely a writer and, uh, and for years now, I've been doing that on word processes, which means, I mean, the idea of trying to write a book with pen and paper as the guy that you started the episode with just boggles my mind now. I've mm. I've, I've lost that ability. You know, if, if I was forced to, I probably could, but that would be a very painful thing to do. And it's also, it's not just the physical, right? It's like you you almost think differently writing with a word processor absolutely rather than by writing by hand yeah there's no no doubt in my mind uh that um this actually this was um the uh philosopher nietzsche um uh, he was right on the cusp where where typewriters were coming in and he was losing his sight and he used to write by hand and then a friend got him to write by type learn how to type with a, a typewriter so that he could do that as while he was losing his sight uh, and this is in the age when people wrote long letters to each other. And his friend noticed once he'd 
uh, Nietzsche had moved to a typewriter, that his writing style changed dramatically. Uh, he wrote in different sort of structured sentences. Uh, mm. And and I, I reckon that's certainly the case for me with word processing. Um, and, you know, whether that's for better or worse, uh, it, I mean, we, we could go in different directions with that. But at least to recognise that um, our technologies do change us more than we more than we know, I think, and we need to start to get a little bit conscious about that. Yeah, they make available some things, but they also close some of those doors as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I think of um, there's a British kind of bushcrafter survivalist guy called Ray Mears who there's this show where he goes to South America and he visits some of the people living in the jungle there. And recently, in the last few generations, they're like the influx of new fire lighting technologies like lighters or whatever matches and things have become so available that they've started using matches because they're easier to light a fire than the yes. sort of friction methods they were used to but they became so prolific that no one in that community remembered how to do it by the friction method yes and there was this really fascinating moment where Ramirez reintroduced a friction method of fire lighting to these communities and they were so elated to have that independence back of like, oh, now we don't need to go paddle up the river to get the matches that we've been, we've now become dependent on. Yes. We were independent from that yes. prior. Yes. There's this, there's this weird trade-off always going on with technology. Yes. Yes, it is. That's right. Um, I mean, the irony is that, you know, we in the, the Western, uh, the developed affluent world, uh, um, uh, the, at the pinnacle of individualism, we stand alone, we do everything ourselves. And yet, in one sense, in the in a very real sense, we're the most dependent people on earth because we have uh, we have such you know, specialized we, skills we, that we, are we, only designed for the world we've we, made. Most of us can't really make things. We can't grow things. We couldn't light a fire without tech. You know, all sorts of things. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's an irony. I wonder if you see it in the sort of influx of and popularity of survival shows and that sort of thing, bushcraft in recent years. Hmm. But so there's always a trade-off. Or it seems like there's always a trade-off. How do we begin to evaluate which trade-offs we want to make and which ones we don't? Do you, do we have any guiding principle? Uh, look, I think I mean the very uh, the, the the starting point is simply to ask the question. Um, you know that we've already begun to uh, to talk about the the question is what ability or skill do I lose by taking up this technology? You know, and compared to what do we gain? And, you know, we might often say, want to say, yep, okay, that's, I'm, I'm willing for that. But there's other times when we may not, um, at least to be asking the question. But I think an even better and more important question maybe is the one the Amish have asked in relation to uh, any technology. The Amish are generally thought of by caricatured as being anti-technology, but that's not right. Um, they're not anti-technology, they're certainly very conservative, but their core question in, in approaching any technology is they ask, what, what will this technology do to our community? Does it build or destroy community? Uh, and then they make their judgments about whether they take a technology up or not. And look, I don't, I don't think we particularly need to, um, uh, well, and I certainly haven't followed <laughs> the Amish answers to that question, uh, but I think it's a very good question. Mm. Uh, and look, I mean, you could even think about just the impact of, so, you know, um, I think the impact of, of mobile phones or social media on, on 
families and community is a is a great place to start. In fact, we could go away, we could go much further back. The impact of television that mm. that had on on families and family life, uh, and to ask about how does this affect community, how does this affect relationships? They're not questions that we've been very good at asking, and I think um, we really need to be asking those questions, particularly uh, how hard we've been driven with with digital technology and how fractured our culture now is in terms of relationships and uh, people's mental health and sense of isolation and those sorts of things. Uh, we really need to be looking at the technology component of all of that. Mm, there's this kind of, I mean, it's very hard to see the downstream effects. This is where like the conservatism of the Amish kind of, I understand a bit because it's, you, you might think, oh, great, there's a motor, you know, comb internal combustion engine motor car that allows me to go further faster than I could in a cart. But there's downstream effects of how that means you then live further apart from the people that matter to you because you can travel quicker, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. And so yes. social media, the same. Oh, great. I can communicate with my friends yes. even when they're not around, but that might mean that I don't ever be around my friends as much yes. as I would otherwise. Like that stuff is so hard to predict and how it will shape things. That's right. And it's also meant that they've um, they've used taken up some technologies in different ways. Um, so and this is an, another possibility which is available to us, but we don't generally think about because usually when a technology, well, certainly as has happened with um, digital technology, the communications revolution, it's presented to us and it just people go open slather with with the use mm. of it. Mm. Whereas the, the Amish. Um, so it's it's wrong that they, they've rejected telephones, for example, but they don't have telephones in their house. Uh, so they will, so they actually, will di I think it's different for different Amish communities, but they might have a spot outside their house, a special place where they can go and use a telephone, but it's not right there in the house. Uh, at, so its amenity is less, it's gonna be used for much more specific sorts of things. It's gonna interrupt less, it's gonna, you know, um, that's the choice they've made. I mean, mm. so that's most of us would find that a difficult example, but it's an example at, at core that we can make different sort. We can use technology in different ways from just the ways that they're presented and everyone starts using it. We can make different sort. It doesn't just have to be yes or no. We can actually place some sorts of bounds and restrictions on things. And that's not something I think we're, we're good at thinking about either. Mm, I mean, the more perhaps more relatable example for many people is like the central place that the television tends to occupy in people's living room, but it doesn't have to. You could exactly. put you could put a cover over it. You could put it in the corner. You could wheel it out for when you want to use it. It seems like we we spend our time and our energy doing what is most available to us. So like making hard decisions around what do I want to have available to me is one way in perhaps. Mm. So, I mean, this a lot of this sounds a bit like we're a bit down on recent technology. Uh, do you think that's right? Uh, do we are we mostly saying new technologies are circumspect, but old technologies are fine, or something like that? Well, at, because as we've been saying, at um, at heart, all technology expands our power, and um, the 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 more powerful our technology grows the more powerful we become and if we have a you know a basically christian view of human nature nature that we are still these fallen creatures and we are we remain as fallen as we ever were but we our power is expanding 
then yes, of course, we should. <laughs> we need to be thinking carefully about, uh, and even more critically about all our technology as it gets increasingly more powerful and we give ourselves more power. Uh, and I, you know, um, the ecological crisis the planet is facing because of what we have done with our tools is is case in point. Um, you know, and the health of affluent sophisticated technological society uh, is another case in point. Mm. So um, so perhaps it's just a matter of in technology since the Industrial Revolution, say, has increased our power to such an extent and at such a rate that the caution is, is even more necessary or, or looms a bit larger in the conversation. Absolutely. And, and I, just, I just think that's a, a basic empirical statement of fact to say that it's not a, an anti-technology statement as we as if we as we've been saying we could somehow live without technology but we need to get real about what it is and what it does and more pointedly what who we are because mm. uh, that's that's what it what it comes down to so um yeah so, look, pr when... so maybe prove it that what are some good recent technologies in your mind what do you like about certain post-industrial, uh, digital, maybe, technologies? Oh, it's truth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> look, I mean, I enjoy all sorts of technology. I'm a techno technology user. I'm, I'm just looking at my 50th birthday present, which a bunch of friends helped me to buy, which is a, is a, a Marshall acoustic guitar amp. There you go. I love that thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, look, a technology for me that... Um, has really helped, I would say. So uh, on our our house and property here in Bendigo, where we've got a lot of, I got a lot of projects on the go and outside, and we do a lot of things ourselves. Um, but frankly, I'm not that skilled as in the, um, you know, as a, a handyman. I can do some things, but I'm not really that skilled. But a tool that has really helped me is the an impact driver. Do you know mm. what an impact driver yeah. is, Jake? Yeah. I used to work with some guys who called it a ducka ducka ducka. Yeah, it, make, it goes <laughs> ducka 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 ducka. Uh, so it's, for people who don't know, it's basically something that screws in uh, these top screws. They're called tech screws, um, which means you don't have to pre-drill a hole and then get a screwdriver and screw the, the screw in. And it's... It's amazing. You can just uh, screw together a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> stuff comes together very quickly with an impact. Right? Yeah, uh, but it's you know I have learnt um, that it's good for some, great for some things, and it's allowed me to do a whole bunch of things much more easily. But um, there's other things. It's it um, if I try to use that thing on certain types of wood or for certain sorts of projects, it will just destroy the things. Hmm. And that's where you, a bit of craftsman knowledge would come in a bit more handy. So, you know, that's a tool uh, I use a lot and has and, and has helped me. But I also realize what I, you know, I don't gain any craft skill. Mm, mm. It just <laughs> does it for it. you. Yeah. And, you know, at, at, at the moment in my life uh, with where time, my amount of time to do those sorts of things that I'm, I'm happy with that. But um, so um, there's there's two tools um i've named for you yeah I, th I think of um changes in medical technology or um prostheses things like that better wheelchairs you name it things that uh allow people who have particularly physical disabilities but also you know co cochlear implant or something like that i think are pretty amazing modern technologies pretty good uses of our ability to extend our power um yes 
one I'm not. You, know, you and I had a bit of a chat about this uh, prior to recording that I, I think you're more up for plastic than I am. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm quite restrictive in my my hoorays about plastic. I think in medical technology, like in a pacemaker or something, makes a lot of sense for keeping things sterile. Makes a lot of sense, but the proliferation of plastic everywhere, I, I think I have more. Uh, doubt about and more more oh no we have no, we're, we're we're on the same like i i it, the our use of plastic and what it's doing to the world is totally disturbing uh and but what i guess the core point i want to say is that um is to still say that plastic is an amazing product mm. and can do some really good things it's just we've used it so freaking badly uh, <laughs> i mean awfully uh, and and is now a scourge upon the planet it literally is a scourge um yeah, so there's a, it's in a good, I think, an example of something which, with a, with a vastly more limited and restricted use, if we're vastly more careful about it and uh, paid attention to it, uh, could be good. But actually, what we've done is, is abominable. So what do we use to measure how far we ought to take a technology or how much we ought to integrate it into our lives or let it shape us? Is there a way we can begin to think critically and, and systematically about integrating technology into our world? Um, well, I guess um, I think it's, are we thinking here at, our sort of, at the sort of personal and household level rather than the society level? Uh, I mean, yeah, I guess so. Whatever we have the ability to choose over, I suppose. Yeah. Look, I think practically speaking, maybe that's where we should start. Um, uh, I, I think, you know, um, uh, just having the ability. So uh, uh, it's worth making this obso observation is we all come in with our sort of baseline, um, our baseline technology as read, you know, we grow into a certain level of technology, whatever we've grown up to is basically our norm, you mm. know, the, the mm. things we think is, see as just basic. And it's the back in my day, we didn't need yeah. such and such, you know, and but it's you still had something else. And it's fascinating to see how actually just in the last few generations, how quickly that baseline has ratcheted up um, mm. for each new generation. Um, and, you know, that's, that's often the, the the content of much intergenerational slanging off at each other. Hmm. Yeah, but so firstly to recognise that we each have these baselines, we come in. Well, this is the sort of just norm of technology, and we can do some critical interrogation of that um, by looking at other people who've come before us. But even more basically, I think is to think about any new technology that comes along for us. Is the question: Can we say no to it? You know. Do we have to take it up rather than the idea that any new technology comes up? And I'm thinking here, particularly in terms of uh, digital technologies, communication technologies, that we're just presented with this fait accompli that we, we have to take up. Um, so reserving the right to say, to say no to something, uh, just because everyone else is choosing it doesn't mean that we have to choose it. So one thing that pops into my head that you've mostly said no to is the smartphone or the, the portable phone oh yes yes why that... <laughs> why why that one 
give us a case study. I, I, it makes me a little bit notorious in some of my circles. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, look, again, um, smartphone, it's a very ironic title, isn't it? Um, <laughs> uh, in fact, it's not just it's the mobile phone, full stop. Uh, I never took up a, a mobile phone. Mm. Uh, and to start with, that was for a very simple reason. Um, I didn't need one. Uh, and I didn't see any point reason why I needed one. Hadn't needed one before. Um, and then, so that was initially the, the, the key reason. Um, and then I increasingly observed as more and more people took them up, I, I, I began to observe how it changed people's behavior, um, how it started. One, how they began to... to uh, uh, behave with each other and particularly the way it interrupted conversations between people uh, as someone who was often on the other end of someone being distracted by their phone and giving immediate attention to their phone over the person who was right in front of them. Um, so I was observing that. Um, and then when the smartphone came in in 2007, just seeing how the distraction multiplied with just almost overnight, people just consumed. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, you know, I've, so I um, I use a computer and I use the internet and I have email and I have to say I I'm struggling to stay on top of that communications technology and I've we've got a landline phone I don't know if you could you someone's been trying to call me <laughs> it's been ringing in the background <laughs> there um, that's enough communications as I can handle in my life mm. I I feel like and I certainly don't need more distraction just that um, email I've for I've chosen to use that technology and it's a, an abominable communications technology in some sense, but that's, it's a one I've chosen and I'm struggling to stay on top of that. Throw a smartphone into the picture and I'm just going to be so much more distracted. Um, I think, I, I, you know, the ability to think well and to stay undistracted is, is critical. So mm. yeah, it's at the, the core for me, it's just become, um, and I still don't need it actually. Uh, I don't... Um... So how do you navigate the sort of things that the smartphone has has integrated itself into in our lives, whether that's communicating with people, you know, they're on a certain platform yes. that you don't have access to, but also if you're out and about and you get lost, you don't have <laughs> maps available in your pocket, like what do you do oh, about no. these sort of situations? S somehow humans for, you know, millennia have survived without smartphones and managed to find their way around. You know, I don't know how humans did it, but they somehow managed to do that. Um, <laughs> there's a great example of things you lose, um, yep. you know, of yep. what when, once you take up a technology. Just to, um, so people, I mean, for I, one thing I've noticed is people have lost the ability of the rendezvous. Mm. Um, so for all of human history, if two people wanted to meet, they would say, "Well, let's meet here at this point in time." And so I still use that technology, <laughs> that technique, yep. Yep. Uh, to meet with people, and it's. It, interesting to watch how people struggle with it look but it is i have to admit it is getting harder um so up until the last few years um i've mostly gotten by um you know i think there's inconveniences there's some people i find it very hard to communicate with because all they they don't answer their phone they don't respond to email um and i've realized they pretty much only do text uh and so those people um that's hard to communicate with but um, mm. um so there are some instances like that 
since particularly around COVID, but it was already happening and more so, there are increasingly points and services, both mm. government services, mm. but also commercial services, that if you want to use them, they increasingly presume that you have a mobile phone and all, and um, demand that you, so, you know, if you're filling out a, on an online form, for example, you have to submit a mobile phone number. Yeah. Uh, Otherwise, it won't. You can't submit the form. A number of government services do that too. Well, the QR codes. The QR codes, and mostly, I was able to get around that during COVID. It was one or two times context where you could not do that without a mobile phone. Therefore, your citizenship rights were less if you did not own that technology. But just Um, to just to like, I mean, I, I experienced that as well because my phone at the time did not have a functioning QR code scanner. So definitely, I I know what you're talking about, but to go back to like everything's a technology, we we assume for the most part in Australia that everybody beyond 18, say, can read and write to a, a passable level to fill in a form and those sorts of things. There was a point where you couldn't assume that, but now our technological world has structured itself around that assumption. What What's different or is there anything different about, well, this is just another one of those. You need to get with the program, John. Yeah, and look, it may I, I may be forced to that at some point if you know citizenship is become really does become predicated on, on that. Um, it hasn't. I haven't got to that point yet. I have managed to <laughs> to hold out. And um, and I'm. You might think I'm. People listening might think I'm just being obstinate, but it, it really is because I do not want uh, that level of distraction. Now I need to also make a confession, and this is perhaps a useful useful clarification. Um. I don't have a mobile phone, although I actually sort of do. Um, so when, when my dad died, uh, he had an old Samsung Galaxy. Um, so I grabbed that um, mm. and I use it. Um, it's a device. Uh, I mostly use it as a handheld wireless device. So it allows I can, you know, while I'm, I download podcasts and I go for a walk and listen to podcasts. Uh, and it's also a really good mobile alarm clock. I found that it's very good for that. Um, particularly when I travel, it's um, I've always struggled to get a decent alarm clock to travel with, um, and I have recently been forced into uh, getting WhatsApp uh, because the tennis club I play uh, with only only use WhatsApp. That's the only way they communicate. There's no other way of being part of that tennis club without it. So, but you can get WhatsApp with, with a without actually having it with the phone number. You don't actually need to have credit on that phone. Here's a little secret, folks. And then you, <laughs> then you can get it on your um, desktop. So I, I'm now having to use WhatsApp. So, you know, things are creeping up on me. Uh, you can see maybe one day, but, you know, um, at the moment I, I make it work. But I guess the key point there, I'm not saying people follow my example, but at least the one thing it does show is you can make different sorts of choices. You don't mm. just have to do it the normal way. That everyone does it. You can make, you can you can set your own way that you're going to interact with that technology. It's um, and the idea that everyone chooses for you, I think, is when we're when we're in trouble. That you're just locked in. Yeah. 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 Are there any technologies that just should not be used, should not be engaged with? Do you think there are any flat no goes? Oh, gee. <laughs> um, if it's some people should use a smartphone and other people make a different decision, what what is one, if there is one, that you think everyone should 
stay away from. Well, you'd like to say things like nuclear weapons and things like that, yeah, wouldn't okay. you? Yeah, um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think, look, I think there probably are technologies we should never have taken up uh, and we should have. And, you know, in the, if you read the story of the, um, what is it, the Manhattan Project, um, the guys mm. who, the physicists who developed the bomb, uh, some of them went through that question, you know, actually, should we develop this? Because if we do, are we able to refrain from using it? And mm. some of them pulled out from saying we should not develop, we should not go any further with splitting the atom. Yeah, uh, although the famous "now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds," the the idea that we now have a power beyond our ability to wield it well. Yes, um, so I think there probably we there probably are. What what do you think, Jacob? Yeah, I I well, I mean, nukes is a pretty easy one to sign up to. Um, it's it's tough to say flat no go because while at the same time I wouldn't want to say technology is neutral. Like we've we've sort of been saying there's a there's a world technology sort of induct you or incline you into um, and sometimes build your world a certain way that then you, you can feel trapped by. I don't think technology is neutral, but I also think because it's power, you can normally find some good way to wield a power, even if it's often inclining towards a negative form. So like, I'm pretty skeptical of most forms of social media. I've never had Instagram. I barely use Facebook. I'm considering quitting Facebook, uh, but I use it to get secondhand stuff mostly. <laughs> um, I, I don't know whether overall things like TikTok are beneficial. I've never had them, but I when I've been working with teenagers, I had one 17-year-old confess to me that they got one of those trackers mm. that says how much time you spend on different apps per day. And there was one occasion where they'd spent six hours on TikTok in a single day. Mm. And they weren't saying that to say, oh, look how good that is. Look how much fun I've been saying. They were saying this to say, oh, this thing really got me. Mm. And I lost six hours or, you yes. know, I regularly lose hours a day to this thing, but I can't stop. Uh, I think I think things that are deliberately designed to be addictive and Moorish in that social media realm are, are yeah. I don't yes. know if they're worth it on the on balance. I think there's definitely good things that come out of them, but on balance, I'm not sure I can endorse. So them. maybe we're saying <laughs> TikTok, TikTok is a, a technology to be avoided, but screen trackers is a technology to be taken up. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, again, like I'm sure there's lots of good that you can do with TikTok, but I think on the whole, the impression I've been given from people I know who use it, it's it's not an overall benefit to mm. to them or to the world. Um, you you have I mean going to a completely different level. You don't use a car and have refused to get a car. So how how do you make that work? And what's your reasoning behind that? Sure. I mean, same as you. It comes with caveats that I do use a car. I know how to drive. I thought, given the way the world is, it's it's an important skill to know how to drive, and it is sometimes useful, whether that's in an emergency or if you're trying to go six hundred six hundred kilometers in a single day or a thousand kilometers in a single day. It's pretty much <laughs> the car's the best way to go most of the time. Um, but I love bikes and I, I prefer biking when I can because of lots of reasons. I mean, I've written a whole article about it on Man of Matters, but things like, what do you lose? I think in a car, you're inherently sitting down and you're not active. A bike is, is active, which not only gets your body moving but it gets your mind moving in a different mm. way it gets you engaging with the world in a different way because you have to think about the weather you have to go well what is the world actually doing i can't just sit inside a capsule and get to my destination it's 
it's more fun, I think, to live that way. Um, but also the financial freedom that it gives me, cars cost a lot of money even just to pay for like road taxes and stuff, but maintenance, the upfront cost of a car, and also getting it fixed. Most people don't know how to fix at least significant problems in their car themselves. And even if they do, perhaps shouldn't or can't legally or whatever. A bike is a much simpler tool, if you like, a much simpler vehicle. You can learn how to fix it and maintain it much, much more on your own. So you're, and it costs far less. And so I guess my bike is a fun gym that exercises my mind that engages me with the world that also means I have more money or more time if I choose to have time instead of money to live my life differently. But I do drive a car sometimes. I borrow cars. I think car sharing is a really good way to have a car. Yes. Um, I use roads that probably wouldn't exist without the car being so prolific. So I use roads with my bike. So it's not that I'm entirely outside of the world of the car. Yes. But I have decided to limit my car use to very specific spheres and, and times because of the trade-off is just not one I want to make. Okay. And that's for me right now. I mean, my body might change. My approach to it might change. Like, I don't think my 92-year-old grandmother should try and ride a bike everywhere. <laughs> um, so it's different choices for different people. Yes. Uh, we probably shouldn't get to talking about whether those scooter things are a good idea either. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's a sidetrack. <laughs> So I guess what sort of principles could we take out of this for, for people listening? Like, it's not that you don't need, or you, you, it's not that you ought to never use a smartphone or you ought to never use a car or whatever it might be. What are the, what are the real questions we can use to interrogate technology so that we don't just get caught up in this fait accompli, this like, I have to, or anything like that? Yeah, look, I think, I mean, what we've been just through the talking, the, the, the sorts of things we've been saying are, firstly, can we just say no to what something in the first place, you know? And I, I think, my, I reckon it's worthwhile just saying no to a new technology sometimes just for the practice of it. <laughs> you mm. know, we need a line in the sand somewhere. Uh, and I, I'm the... I don't particularly think it needs to be entirely consistent line in the sand. It can be squiggly line in the sand. You know, you don't have to have all the uh, the most consistent and coherent reasons for saying no, other than the fact that I don't want to um, and to, to say no to it. In fact, it, that we shouldn't have to um, defend our choice to say no. We should have a reason. Uh, we need to have a good reason to take something up. So, one, I think we should... Uh, be able to and practice at some point saying no to some sort of technology that you know whatever it is that um, everyone else is taking up just for the practice of being able to do it uh, mm. so one say we can say no sometimes um, I guess the other thing we've been saying is that there's also a go slow option um, so uh, to uh, maybe wait for a while before take watch how other people use it watch see what some of the traps are so you're forewarned you know uh, in terms <laughs> let them let them make the mistakes <laughs> yeah. so you don't have yeah because i mean look people are going to do it i mean you know realistically um uh go slow to, to 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 see how something plays out and i think i mean we could do that with all tech you know at a social level we could go slow we could do things to but anyway, at a personal level, go slow. Or, and the other thing is to also go different and to sometimes take up a technology, but actually put 
parameters around it or um, and limits on how we use it which is a bit different from how other people are. Maybe we're going to use it in ways that other people haven't thought of, you know, didn't really um, imagine that's how you'd use it. But um, uh, Like the Amish keeping the phone outside of the house. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, I, you know, I think the idea that we are presented with a fait accompli uh, and that we simply must, and that's even, it's not just a must uh, from a realist angle, it's almost a moral must, and that's, um, what I've found every now and then when I find when someone's challenged me about not having a mobile phone there's almost been a moral element to the to the challenge about yeah, how uh, dare you exactly uh, you know but, yeah. um, uh, but it's irresponsible <laughs> to, to have said no to this um, uh, I, I think uh, that attitude is actually irresponsible um, so you know to um, I've actually lost my track of what I was saying. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to to not feel like it's a it's a moral imperative to take up the newest next best yes, thing. Yes, um, that we have choices, and to the extent, I mean, here's a great example. You know, we could go into theological depths here of what I think, at a nitty gritty level, freedom in Christ looks like. Actually, hmm. um, because one of the other things that Jacques Lul wrote about was uh, that the. the concept of the powers principalities and the powers in the new testament uh and technology is a classic uh principality it's one of these uh forces that shape the world that humans bow to because they think they must uh, mm. but actually we mustn't and in fact we what christ does does is to liberate us from uh the lie that we must bow to these things and to present us with a whole new world vision uh, idea of uh, freedom uh, to choose for life uh, and to choose for love and to choose for God and for good. Um, so uh, I think, you know, technology at a very nitty gritty uh, practical example is, a, is at the uh, is at the coalface of what uh, in, enacting freedom in Christ looks like. Mm, rejecting that inevitability idea. Mm. But the, I mean, as we've sort of been saying, you certainly have said with your tennis club, and I know with things like social media, particularly with younger people, it's extremely difficult sometimes to say no, especially when a new technology has such a tangible, obvious benefit, whether it's social inclusion or whether it's yes. just this is fun yes. or this is enabling me to do something I couldn't do before. I mean, I, I think of bike riding. Sometimes I go, what am I doing riding for an hour and a half across the city when I could just drive for half an hour if I owned a car, mm. there, there sometimes is a real cost to saying no to particular technology. Absolutely. How do we, how do we wear that cost? How do we engage with that cost? Like your daughters are both teenagers and they've, they've engaged far less with um, social media and digital stuff than probably most people their age. What has it been like for them? Uh, yeah. Uh, look, um, I think that mostly it's been okay. Uh, so to um, so uh, we didn't allow our daughters to have any uh, like a mobile device or handheld device until they were fifteen, and then if they wanted one, they could get one <laughs> they could, themselves. Um, uh, and when then if they so and they both did, and they um, and we allowed them to have one social media app on that and we talked about which one it was and then we researched that app and 
what the settings would be on that app, you know, to, to disallow some settings and to own, you know, uh, so to control how it was used and what it was used for. Um, uh, and, you know, they mostly chose that to, and I think they both started off with getting Snapchat, um, which mm. I still don't really understand. But anyway, um, <laughs> even after the research I did. Um, uh, and that was about staying in touch with their friends. But, you know, um, they haven't been great users of it. Um, and and they didn't really lose out that much. Um, and I think they were protect, have been, more importantly, protected from a lot of things uh, by that. Um, they would say they've probably missed out on some things uh, in socially, but uh, but not a, a huge deal. Um, and they've probably gained other things. And, and actually, my, my youngest daughter, she so she had a mobile phone and she lost it um, a little while ago. And she just decided she wasn't going to get, a, get another one. And she's wow. And that was her own decision. She just obviously felt um, actually she could, could get by without it um, and didn't need it. So that was an interesting choice, I thought. Um, yeah, that's remarkable. You know, like I've never heard of that happening for someone her age. Yeah, I mean, she. I'm, I imagine I don't imagine that'll last forever. But um, I thought that was a a good sign. But it's a good. I think it just shows, and um, and I reckon there'd be plenty other examples out there where um, what looks like, you know, I think for a lot of parents they think it's just a fait complete. You need to give your kids a mobile phone when they're, gee, I don't know what age is it now. It seems to be like twelve or ten or something like that. Because, oh, I've heard way lower than that. Because they're, yeah. they're not safe without one. I mean, yeah. somehow the human race has managed to survive up, up until now and rear children without mm. such things. Mm. But um, yeah, look, um, but there is, look, I think it's worth recognizing that it does, it, there, is a, there is a cost. You, you, it does mean you will, uh, and Jacques Ellul is very, um, uh, <laughs> sharp on this he says we can ex you know that the choices are um enslavement to technology or uh rejection and marginalization by society society <laughs> I, I think he's characteristically a bit overstating things um but there is a i think making different choices around technology does come with some sort of cost but i think that's the case with making all sorts of life different alternate life-giving choices in this fallen world i mean we've talked about that in relation to all sorts of aspects in relation to money and stuff like that um hmm. that's the nature of things and just like you said you can like it's not one thing forever you can use a technology or use it in a particular way and then often this is very difficult but you can decide no i've had that for a while i'm going to change how i use it or i'm going to give up using it hmm. entirely that's a very difficult thing to do, the way that things seem to have this on march of now that's the new norm, that's the new norm, that's the new norm. But the question of can we down tools once we've yeah, taken Yeah, can up, we give something up? Yeah. And it goes but right back to that power idea. Renunciation is right at yes. the heart of the Christian walk. And so the willingness and the ability and the practice of giving up power for the sake of life, for the sake of good, is right at the heart of Christian faith. Yes, yes. And there are plenty of people who, I, I mean, you've done it yourself or uh, with um, like Facebook and like people have been on Facebook and then been given up, right? That there's lots mm. of examples of that sort of thing. Mm. But as we say, it's not just these digital new yes. technologies. It's anything. It could mm. be ways we think about money. It could be ways we think about um, 
yeah, vehicles or heating and cooling of our house or whatever it Could might. it even be impact drivers? Oh, no. It could even be impact drivers. So we've mentioned Jacques Ellul a lot on this episode. He is very much a downer. Uh, the quote we've, we've selected to finish um, is among the sort of more downer quotes that you might find of his. And it is, the tool enables man to conquer, but man, dost thou not know there is no more victory, which is thy victory? <laughs> what does he mean, John? Well, he's saying, uh, you know, the, it's, a, it's a profound statement, really, isn't it? That, um, you know, what tools allow us to do is to get what we want. And that is the curse of humanity, that we get what we want because we want the wrong thing. Uh, and that's what uh, Christ came for to to redirect our desire uh, from the wrong thing towards God and good and love and life. Uh, yeah, so that's that is what the meaning of the quote uh, is. That mm. um, the curse of technology is that it allows us to gain victory, uh, and uh, that's the worst thing for us. Mm. Well, on that note, thank you everyone for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the discussion. Uh, if you did enjoy it, please consider sharing it in whatever platform, in whatever way. Uh, you might even go to someone's house and listen, it, listen to it with them rather than just click them a link. Um, and if you're inclined, please review us on iTunes or whatever platform as it does help us get it out there. Use those technologies. Yeah, use those technologies for good. <laughs> um, in the meantime, if you want good news economics and you can't wait for the next episode of the Mattercast, uh, Matter Matters comes out three times a year. That's our quarterly publication, or we call it quarterly. comes out three times. And that's full of all sorts of reflections like these. And you can even get it in paper hard copy if you sign up online to do that. You can get that for free at managum.org.au. Thanks to everyone who supports our ministry. There's a donation option on that same website as well, managum.org.au. We'll leave it there. Thanks, John. Thanks, Jacob. We'll catch you guys next time. 